from the truly gubu last week to the weird, wacky and wonderful world of British politics overhanging the concept of Brexit, this is Exchange Invest Weekly. This was the week where, wait for it, it turns out some bankers produced negative reports about the impacts of Brexit because it was a risk to their livelihoods. Self-interest from bankers? Whatever next, other than, say, turkeys voting for inevitable holidays in the fourth quarter of the calendar year. For those looking for a vestige of siege news this week, it seems that the UK Parliament has decided to besiege the rest of the United Kingdom. All forms of common sense have been prorogued in Westminster. And indeed, the Westminster claim that it's the mother of all parliaments is a term that seems unlikely to hold any more water than the Atacama Desert after a particularly warm summer. What happens next in the great Brexit jigsaw is going to be most exciting. However... Let's not dwell too much on Brexit, although there was one quite interesting story this week, apart from the fact that CBOE were mentioning in the Financial Times that they had readied their Amsterdam hub and were thus prepared. It was interesting to see that somewhere over 100 different entities have actually been registered with ESMA as applicants for an EU headquarters post-Brexit. This brings us to a very interesting juncture because certainly the likes of the authorities in Holland as well as France and Germany have been throwing everything, including to some extent the kitchen sink, at trying to attract post-Brexit business to their jurisdictions. Equally, there's a very interesting, some might call it a dirty war going on at regulatory level where those particularly large regulators seem to believe they have a divine right in order to attract the business as opposed to any of the other countries amongst the 27 in the European Union. Good news for Deutsche Börse, they've been promoted to the Eurozone Blue Chip Stock Index, that's the stock's fifth. At the same point in time, it raises the questions, Deutsche Börse have traditionally been highly lacklustre at investor relations, will this be a catalyst for change? Meanwhile, an unrepentant Jignesh Shah made a brief appearance this week, quite fascinating. He believed that an employee fraud was NSEL, it could be resolved in about six weeks. Hmm. Six years on, are we? And it could have been resolved in six weeks. As I seem to recall, Mr. Shah spent a lot more time in jail than that in the earlier part of the investigation. Over in Hong Kong, it was rather, well, an Omnitech week. They made an interesting investment in an AI and analytics company in Shanghai earlier in the week, and then unfortunately suffered a networking problem later in the week, which caused all of their derivatives markets to be closed down during the course of the afternoon on Thursday. That led to, simultaneously, a hacking attack while it had the marketplace closed for derivatives. Really rather difficult, but at the same time, we have to applaud Hong Kong exchanges. Absolute candour. They announced the hack instantaneously. They discovered the hack while it was going on, and therefore they look a lot more competent than some European bankers we could mention. Some European central bankers who only find a hack into their systems several months later on a routine exercise, as we discussed just a few weeks back. The spectre of Cumex continues to hang over us. The German tax case for multiple dividends is reaching its denouement, as I mentioned last week, as the top story in this podcast. Bankers are facing the first German court trials at the moment. It looks like, well, a particularly appalling and shoddy affair. $11 billion of tax seems to have been evaded in Germany alone. Freshfields denied wrongdoing in tax advice amid a 50 million euro settlement payout, according to the legal business publication. 
Amongst other news this week, well, in financial centres, it was interesting to see a discussion about how NSE versus SGX ended up in Gujarat. That was, of course, a very long, drawn-out affair, and it was an interesting article by the Live Mint publication, which quoted one Patrick L. Young, whoever he is. Over in China, the central bank is going to be including the troubled P2P lending system in its credit system, having jumped to prominence in China in recent years, but having had huge systematic problems in recent months. In other financial technology news close to the parish, it was interesting to see Stripe, a very competent, coherent credit card vendor, not the cheapest by far, but very easy to integrate for e-commerce, They've stepped into a new role, offering lending to their customers. That lending will be repaid by them taking a fixed percentage of the income on every transaction that goes through the credit card platform. Very, very interesting, useful and a very interesting project from a new age credit card provider who do efficiency in the way that the clunky legacy providers simply cannot. Meanwhile, for those who are interested in their corporate actions being uniform, a group has been formed in Europe. Good to see Borsa Italiana, Eurex, Euronext, Intercontinental Exchange, MEF and Nasdaq Stockholm coming together. Their committee is going to be separate from the ECB's committee in a similar area, the CASG, and it's going to look at the standardization of corporate actions frameworks, which is very, very useful and great to hear, particularly for those of us who want to automate more data. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. One interesting piece of deal news this week, the Kuwait Capital Markets Authority. They have green-lighted the Bursa Kuwait IPO. Subscription should be taking place in Q4. This is phase two of the whole process. As you may remember, phase one involved a deal with a consortium of Athens Exchange, the National Investments Company of Kuwait, First Investment Company of Kuwait, and Arsan Financial Group. That consortium acquired 44%, at which point in time it shrank the government's holding down to 50%. After the IPO, the government is only going to hold 6% overall. Congratulations to the Tunis Stock Exchange. They're celebrating 50 years. Meanwhile, the Finnish gas exchange is going to be shutting down. Apparently, trading is going to be moving to the Baltic Bourse from 2020. At the same time, EEX are tying their French gas bourse provider more closely to the main group. Therefore, Powernext and EEX will become even more inextricably linked than they were already. Elsewhere, one deal in crypto, Binance have acquired a crypto derivatives exchange, which is in the Seychelles, it's called JEX, which adds another form of regulation to the Binance group, who seem to have tentacles regulated in all sorts of parts of the world. It's going to be rebranded as Binance JEX and offer derivatives products. Those who are watching the possible Saudi Aramco IPO with interest will be fascinated to know that the Saudi Arabian government named Yazir al Rumayan the head of the kingdom's sovereign wealth fund as chairman. It's not a parish appointment, but clearly the heads of listing at various venues will find that very, very interesting indeed. In another interesting appointment, TPICAP have hired former CFTC staffer Amir Zaidi as their global head of compliance. Meanwhile, the US illiquid bond platform Open Door has hired Michael Cashel as its new chief operating officer. He was also the first CEO of Luminex, 
Luminex being, of course, a US equity competitor platform, which actually we haven't heard anything about for ages. And over at Nasdaq, they've elevated their government relations boss, Ed Knight, to vice chairman. John Zecca has been named EVP and chief legal officer. In regulation news, the SEC and CFTC charged the Options Clearing Corporation with failing to establish and maintain adequate risk management policies. A $20 million combined penalty has been paid by the Chicago Clearing House. Good to see the CFTC had no fear in taking on a major chunk of market structure when it found something that was deficient. The OCC itself pointed to how it had changed its management and its management structure since the problems came to light. DLT Malta is the book of the blockchain island, consisting of thoughts from leading local advocates and practitioners of the crypto economy, led by the Prime Minister, the Honourable Joseph Muscat MP. DLT Malta is edited by myself, Patrick L. Young, and Joseph Anthony DeBono. The book can be obtained from all leading bookstores worldwide. If you want to understand Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the broader impact of the distributed ledger, this book is packed with insights and information about the potential for the technology. DLT Malta, Thoughts from the Blockchain Island, is published by DV Books on behalf of the industry association Blockchain Malta, in bookstores now. In technology news, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange is moving towards price volatility curbs. Of course, it also had those slight foibles this week with its technology platform due to connectivity issues on Thursday. Perhaps the most interesting technology news of the week was that a vendor, Axe Trading, who we don't really know a great deal about, have been appointed the technology partner for the Indonesian bond market being operated by the Indonesian Stock Exchange. Meanwhile, in product news, Hong Kong Exchange are going to launch Indian Rupee Currency Futures. Two pairs will be offered, Indian Rupee versus US Dollars, and a world first, Chinese Yuan versus Indian Rupee. Admittedly, those Remnimbi, they're going to have to be traded in Hong Kong. But nonetheless, it's going to be the first opportunity to actually see a futures contract on exchange for the Indian versus the Chinese currency. CME Group are going to launch software options on January 6, 2020, and they also launched a US liquid natural gas futures contract with physical delivery. Meanwhile, the Warsaw Stock Exchange went to the high-profile Polish Krynica Economic Forum and they launched the Three Seas Exchanges Index, a very, very exciting move into the territory of index provision in Central and Eastern Europe, which has previously been pretty much a monopoly for the Viennese Bourse. The index comprises stocks from the Visegrad Group countries, Poland, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, as well as Croatia, Romania and Slovenia for an index and also a passive fund which is going to be managed out of Warsaw. What a very interesting idea and a clear sign that the GPW, the Warsaw Stock Exchange, has managed to move on from the flawed concept of merging with Vienna which they held just a few years back. Now we're seeing some exciting direct competition in the Central Eastern and Southeastern Europe environment. Vienna will need more energy to compete here because Warsaw is a formidable foe. The S&P Global team at Platts, they've acquired a very interesting pricing benchmark, the Live Rice Index. Live Rice Index is actually an organisation, a global provider of information and benchmark price assessments for the rice industry. Good deal. And of course, as I was discussing in the podcast last week, rice is a big, big possibility for traded markets in the future. Over at the LME, their gold and silver contracts are in doubt as Société Générale has pulled their support and Tradeweb have announced central counterparty clearing for European ETFs in partnership with EuroCCP. 
For those in the cryptocurrency world, the exciting news of the week was that CME Group is apparently sharing details on Bitcoin options projects that could be launched imminently. Personally, I think that's absolutely fascinating. The big need out there is definitively to have some options from a liquid and credible exchange to add to the futures which are already trading on the CME. How that'll be viewed by BACT, of course, is going to be very interesting as their launch is due at the end of September. How ironic, Chinese companies have been turned off from the British Stock Market Connect system thanks to Brexit uncertainty. Yes, read that again. The Brexit uncertainty is causing Chinese investors to be concerned about the concept of wanting to send their order flow to London on the London-Shanghai Stock Connect programme, which officially launched in June. Well, frankly, there's a lot more political stability in China. Exchange Invest is the daily must-read by the most influential figures operating the world's best markets. We invite you to join the exclusive group of Boris Bosses and other C-suite executives who make Exchange Invest the Exchange of Information, their daily business intelligence guide to markets the world over. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me patrick at derivativesvision.com. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to the end of this week's Exchange Invest Weekly. We'll be back next week with all the news that's fit to pith from around the bourse business. My name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you for joining me. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.